Hey, Alicia, you got your mug? Hey, Jamie girl, I got my glass. Let's get into this black tea. This is black tea, your bottomless cup of empowerment, political education, and black excellence. Every month, we bring you raw and uncut news, spilling the tea on all of the latest hot-button social issues and events for the culture. We are back with another episode, episode seven, and this time in a brand new St. Louis. We have a new mayor, your board of aldermen has been flipped, and we have a new board of education. Yes, Sippers, we have new leadership all over the city, and a special shout out to our newest board of education member, your other co-host, Alicia. Yes, y'all, yes, clap it up for her. We can get into all the tea on that later, but we know we missed a lot in April for y'all, and a lot of stuff has been going on. So this episode is going to basically be a recap, and we apologize. We're going to update you on everything that's been going on in the city since your last episode. Yes, Sippers, Jamie had surgery in April, Mm -hmm. um, but she is back with us, safe and healthy, and we are beyond Mm -hmm. happy about that. And y'all know that I think that health is wealth, and so we're glad that she's back at her best, and now we're ready to get into it with y'all. In addition to things for her other work had also picked (laughs) up, but she's back, and she's ready to get back to all the work, and we're ready to bring you this tea. Yes. So up first, we're going to talk about Mayor Jones, okay? Um, She has been busy, busy working in her first 100 days. Um, I think one of the biggest things that have happened is in her first 100 days is the $4 million reallocation of police funding. So we've had this conversation before in a previous episode where we we talked about defunding the police and abolishing the police and that becoming a a popular policy point. And so right here in St. Louis, the Board of Estimate Apportion on April 30th amended the city's proposed fiscal year 2022 budget to eliminate 98 vacant police positions and reallocate that $4 million that was previously budgeted for those positions to new resources. Now, to get into the tea with y'all sippers and Jamie, you know, Alderman President Lewis Reed, um, who is a board of education, I mean, sorry, he is a board of Alderman President. <laughs> you got to correct yourself. Now. Right. Yes. He's a board of Alderman President. Um, and, and so he and Tashara Jones, who's the mayor, and um, Comptroller Darlene Green, they get three votes on this committee. And Lewis Reed was the one who voted against this amendment, while St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones and Comptroller Darlene Green voted in favor of it. Um, it's important to note that this budget reduction only affects those unfilled positions, so there's not going to be any hiring freeze or firing of any current officers. Um, Jones' office worked with the St. Louis Police Chief Hayden. I actually had a chance to watch this meeting, Sippers, and I think we tweeted about it mm-hmm. a little bit on the on the meeting when this was happening, and Police Chief John Hayden was there, and he actually worked with Tashar Jones to figure out um, the best way, how many positions to eliminate, and how much money, um, like the best way to go about that. And this was done on Mayor Jones' ninth day in office. And it's basically her honoring her promise. When she ran, she talked a lot about redirecting police funds to social services. 
So the the $4 million of the police um, department's $171 million budget, those resources are now going to go to victim support programs, civil rights litigators, homeless service, and affordable housing. Um, Mm. Yeah, yeah. So the police budget accounts for about 15% of our total um, city spending. Um, St. Louis police groups have opposed this move. There are some police groups that have opposed this move, but like we said, also police chief John Hayden approved of this. Um, But Jones says that this is ultimately about her goal to address the root causes of crime and support the victims of crimes, as well as those who have been underserved and underrepresented. Yes. Um, And then I think the other thing just to know is, like we said, this is not like cutting. These positions have been vacant. I think I read something that said these positions have been vacant for over 10 years. Mm -hmm. They've had trouble filling these. So it's also like just finding a place in the budget where these money are going to police, but they actually haven't really been going to police. It's just kind of been sitting there. Um, And it's been sitting there because there's been nobody in these jobs. So it's not like people are, you know, we're cutting back these money and then police officers are losing their jobs. There was nobody in the roles in the first place. It was money that was allocated to hire people. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So as usual, Sippers, we will be watching this. Yes, we will. Okay. And we will will keep y'all up to date and let y'all know about this money getting funded and hopefully any other money that gets gets cut (laughs) from the police budget and goes to any other social services or any other big financial moves that we make. Speaking of other financial moves, Jamie. Yes, speaking of other financial moves and things that Mayor Jones has been working on, the other big thing um, that took place within the last few months is Mayor Jones withholding an approval for some tax abatements for some properties that were being developed in the Central West End. Um, And to back it up for y'all. This was all over the place. I've seen a lot of people talking about this. St. Louis Business Journal, everywhere, everywhere. It was a big deal. And I know a lot of people don't pay attention to, like, oh, development property stuff. Yeah, what's a tax abatement? Yes, that's a good question, Alicia. So a tax abatement is when a property is given an incentive in order to develop in an area that typically properties don't go into and developers don't work in. And so a tax abatement means they're going to abate or withhold the taxes that the property has to pay for a certain period of time. Hmm. So for example, if they're awarded an abatement for 10 years, that means for 10 years, that property is going to pay either less or no taxes, property taxes to the city in exchange for getting their building built, which is basically money for them because it's money that they are not having to pay out in taxes. Mm -hmm. Now, what this means for Mayor Jones, one thing that she's been really concerned about and was a big priority point for her um, was wanting to make sure we're not just giving out these abatements like candy willy-nilly to any developer. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cities, in order to get an abatement, which is a reward, you have to do something. And Mayor Jones believes that we're not being strict enough and we're giving out too many abatements. Now, what happened with this and why there was drama was because um, there were two projects that were being built in the Central West End area. Um, so Sippers, this is like $80 million worth of property. Um, total for the two projects that um, Mayor Jones uh, ended up revoking, well, blocking the abatements for. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was the developers were, um, had already received the abatements. That's something that the Board of Aldermen had already approved. The mayor was like, "Uh, no, there are no, the city's not getting anything out of this deal. The Mm -hmm. city was cutting them a deal, giving them the abatement, and Mayor Jones felt the city wasn't getting out of it anything out of it. Now, I could put my opinion on it, um, because I looked into both of them, Mm -hmm. and one was a big $80 million luxury apartment right off of Lindell deal um, that 
and what the mayor said was could have been done anyway. Yeah, what they need a tax abatement for. You know, and exactly, and there's even a clause for that. It's called the but for clause, and for most cities, if you're going to get a tax abatement, it has to be but for this tax abatement, you could get this deal done. Right. So you don't need this money to get your project off the ground. Right. It's not like you are having any financial hardship. Now, the second project, it was much smaller. It's like an auto zone that they wanted to redo into some commercial apartments. The older people had been working really hard on it. It was only like $900,000, which sounds like a lot of money, but y'all, $900,000 ain't going to build you a building. In, it's redu- not, in development, in real estate, and it's, not, it's a not a lot of money in comparison. And so theirs got withheld too, and people were mad because they felt, some people were mad because they felt like, they worked really hard on these projects. They felt like they were really going to add something and add value to the neighborhood. They should have got done. Um, whereas other people felt like they don't care because the big other thing is if property taxes aren't getting paid, guess who's not getting money? Schools, things like that, because that's what our tax dollars are funding, right? Right. Um, so that's the drama. That's the tea on that. Um, my opinion on it is I think the little one could have, you know, got through. I think at the end of the day, um, we have to recognize when property tax dollars aren't getting paid for things that are vacant, the city's not going to get that money anyway. Mm-hmm. And so if it's not approved, we're still not going to get that money to our schools. So, so can they come, they can repropose another plan, right? They can, they're not blocked permanently. Right. They're not blocked permanently. It's not saying that these buildings can't be built forever. Um, forever. She's saying that basically you need to drop a new deal for me because I don't like what y'all put on the table in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're waiting to see what happens. All right. Well, I'm happy to, you know, to hear both sides. I think uh, tax abatements are super important, like you said, for schools especially. Mm-hmm. Um, for anything in our city, like, that's where we get most of our money from. Yep. Um, and I feel like maybe what we'll see, and I guess Jamie can explain this to all of us later, Sippers, is just like a new criteria being created for developers. Because mm-hmm. I also saw something where she wanted to know, she wanted these projects to see how they were going to benefit, like, our less our under-resourced areas like the north side of St. Louis. Yep, yep. And there's a whole, there's a whole, we could do a whole episode on it. You know we can. Um, a whole episode on something called inclusive policy. And so inclusionary zoning policies, for example. Community benefit agreements, for example. Mm-hmm. These are big terms in real estate that basically mean how do we make sure that these development projects are actually benefiting the community. So stay tuned in for that. Y'all might have a Financial Friday on it. Um, Moving in real quick, Sippers, we want to just get a little bit off the local city stuff and let y'all know some of the big things that were going on Um, in Missouri in the General Assembly. The General Assembly, which is the state um, Senate and House of Representatives, the body together, they just finished all their meetings for a year. They're on recess, but a lot of stuff happened. Real quick to break it down for y'all, there was a policy in uh, the state Senate proposed by Senator Brian Williams um, that was a big deal that was working on um, police reform and accountability. Specifically, they call it the chokehold bill. Um, Alicia could tell y'all a little bit just real quick, Alicia, about it and what that meant, because um, it came out of the, you know, a, a lot of the uh, policy and stuff that was being worked on from Mike Brown and things like that. So it's been a years in the making. Yeah. So um, Brian, Senator Brian Williams' bill, um, combined with another, is basically going to. It puts into place a new list of police reforms, and some of those things include prohibiting law enforcement from using chokeholds unless deadly force is authorized. Mm. Um, It also increases um, the penalty to a Class E felony for officers and correctional staff who engage in sexual sexual, uh, misconduct with a person in their custody. 
Um, and it also will prevent officers who have been um, discharged from one police department for wrongdoing from uh, going to another police department and gaining immunity. Um, um, because a lot of times a police officer will do something and then that police officer gains immunity and that information is not allowed to be released to another police department. Mm. Um, so that is supposed to help put a stop to that. And then in addition, we will also see a brand new database that will be statewide. And that database will keep track of officers who have been um, reprimanded or investigated for using um, too much force. And that, is a, that database is supposed to be being run by um, Peace Officer Standards and a training commission. Um, so... This is, I think this is moving in, a, in the right direction. I think if yeah. you're talking about accountability, um, I think there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you shouldn't, like, if, if deadly force is not, is not authorized, use chokeholds. You're supposed to be trained on how to de-escalate situations and how to deal with people. And if it's not supposed to be deadly, don't get deadly. Um, I think that a police officer, just like, I, you know, a doctor can't commit, commit malpractice at one job, one hospital, and then get mm -hmm. an immunity and then go to another hospital and do that same surgery despite mm -hmm. that malpractice and so I think this is just calling for more police accountability. Yeah. Obviously a lot of people are saying like this is getting a lot of attention because it is arguably one of the largest pieces of reform that we've had, progressive reform because we've had some reform around issues but they have not been in favor of account police accountability. <laughs> um, but this one is in favor of police accountability and it's been one of the first ones since the murder of Michael Brown so I'm happy to see it. Um, the bill is successfully passed, which mm -hmm. in a state like Missouri, that is actually, you America know, <laughs> exactly. It's actually majority Republican. Um, yeah. That that says a lot about just like what what our movement is doing and and how it's growing. And so we'll keep y'all up to date, um, up to date, steppers, and hopefully this will lean towards. This will lean towards us having better community relations with those who are supposed to protect and serve us. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and then the other big piece of tea out of the state um, policy world is Medicaid expansion, which I'm sure y'all have heard a lot about. Um, it's actually something that Missouri voters uh, voted on a while ago. To most sneak dissing. Uh, most sneak this, and as we said, we talked about this last time with, you know, us approving things and then magically them disappearing. But once again, um, the voters passed uh, a constitutional amendment to the Missouri Constitution to expand Medicaid um, through funding from the Affordable Care Act. That's where the funding would have, well, not funding, excuse me, through the expansion under the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. However, when it came time to fund the Medicaid expansion, um, which was supposed to take place this year, all of a sudden we didn't feel like shelling out the dollars. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, big drama on that. It was a big setback, pretty much wiped away um, a lot of the other things that were being accomplished because people were really wondering, Republicans and Democrats were really wondering why this was a decision um, after the voters already voted for it, um, that our state legislature made. And our governor um, pretty much got up there and said, well, it's not his fault that the House didn't fund it, so he had no choice but to not allow the policy to go through. Um, you guys can watch and look it up. He gave a, a, a talk at a presentation after the comments that were had about Medicaid expansion. So I don't know, Alicia. I just feel like this is something that I don't know why state, our state keeps doing. Like, I don't... Yeah. I don't get it. I, me neither. I mean, it's so interesting because the same legislators that are 
uh, pro-life mm. are de-Medicaid expansion. <laughs> and that seems quite, quite hypocritical to me. So I really don't understand it either. And it can have some major consequences for yeah. my region. You know, yeah. we try to talk about business a lot and we just launched Financial Fridays. And so, you know, a part of what we're going to be doing is talking to them more because we're talking about this intersection. And so we have a company like Centene here. Yes. Okay. Who's one of the mm. largest providers of Medicaid in the United States. And yes. they have a database right here in St. Louis. I mean, they're a Fortune uh, 42 company. Um, and with them, they have their database here. And he threatened to actually leave. Because um, yes. he's like, okay, I'm bringing all these businesses here. I have all these employees. And providing all these jobs. And, and you guys. Okay. Yeah. And your voters are telling you to do this. They're voting in favor and you're still choosing not to. And so that can have some major impacts on the region. And that's just yes. him. They're, you know, ultimately the people suffer. People who don't have yeah. access to, to care, who need these resources, are mm-hmm. suffering after we've already voted. So it's all very ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. And I understand it, but hopefully what we can do is we can use our power that we have, Sippers, exactly. to support those in leadership who are doing the right things and hopefully one day get some folks all over the city, all over the state, who will give the people what they deserve. And actually respond to the voters' you know, needs and questions and listen when people pass things. Exactly. So... <laughs> That's y'all catch up on the tea. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of it. It's a lot of it. But yeah, a lot of stuff going on. Um, we're glad we're here to provide with y'all and um, let y'all know what's happening. Amen. This episode of Black Tea is brought to you by the Divided City Initiative. The Divided City is a joint project of the Center for the Humanities and the Sam Fox School, College of Architecture and Urban Design at Washington University, right here in St. Louis. The Divided City is funded by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. Hello, Sippers. We are back. It is so exciting to be back. And today we are back with the GOAT of STL. I said what I said, the GOAT of St. Louis, okay? A.K.A. Treasurer Adam Lane, okay? To give y'all a little background on Mr. Lane, he received his Bachelor's of Business Administration with a concentration in finance from George Washington University in Washington, D.C. Real expensive out there. (laughs) And and he has his Master's of Education from the University of Missouri-St. Louis with a focus in secondary education. Uh, Mr. Lane considers St. Louis home, and on his website it says he believes we need to do more than just imagine a better St. Louis. We need to relentlessly work towards one, and he's been doing that for a minute now. Um, So Adam, thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, We would love for you to tell our sippers a little bit about, and sippers is what we call our fans Mm -hmm. and supporters. I'm aware, I'm aware. Okay, okay, because you're a sipper. I watched the video, so yeah, yeah, I guess I'm a sipper. (laughs) Um, So tell us a little bit about your story um, and how someone who isn't originally from St. Louis moves here, becomes invested, and ultimately becomes the city's treasurer. Because if y'all are from St. Louis, y'all know how we are about being Mm -hmm. here. And mm-hmm. what high school you went to. Mm-hmm. So how was that journey? Yeah, so that's, yeah, I learned that uh, probably the hard way. So I am, well, thank you all for having me, first of all. Um, I am originally from Boston, Massachusetts. That's where I was born and raised. Um, both my parents are immigrants, so I don't have a Boston accent because people always ask why. And I'm like, well, if your parents don't have a Boston accent, you won't. So my mother's from West Africa, Sierra Leone, and my father's from Trinidad. Um, let's see, how did my journey start? So I remember, I think the first stage of my journey, it was always about education. So I grew up in low-income housing in Boston. 
Um, and my mother always stressed the importance of education. So when I was growing up, I started in public school all the way up until third grade. And what changed for me was in third grade, um, I was supposed to go into the advanced work class in the next um, school year. But what ended up happening, my school had, the school that I was already attending had advanced work class, but not every school in the district did. And so what uh, ended up happening is other students from other schools would come to our school. But I had my quote unquote guaranteed spot. Um, but when fourth grade rolled around, I was not in advanced work class. My mom came up to the school like a black mother would. Mm. Um, <laughs> Amen, as she should. Right, as she should. Um, raising hell um, for her black son, because she was like, you know, not nothing against the other classes, but um, this is something that was promised to him. Um, and she's like, I'm not going to let you have my son up in a different class saying that, you know, he's bored and now, or he, and with me getting bored and now he's a problem student and he's causing all these issues in the classroom and now he hates education, doesn't like going to school. She, she was all about seeing the long road. And she was like, I know the statistics for young black boys um, and my son's not going to be one. So uh, within a week, they changed that around. So I was back in that class and had an amazing experience. But for my mom, that was the last time she was like, I'm not dealing with Boston Public Schools anymore. I'm done. Uh, so then I went to my first uh, non-public school. So it was a Jesuit school um, in Roxbury, Massachusetts. So all the students were black or uh, Latinx. And um, it was run by a bunch of priests. And well, the priests ran it, but all the teachers were just like, you know, white, I guess. Yeah. And, um, and they were younger. We had some TFA teachers in there, too. Um, and they were great and I had a great experience, but it was five through eight. And my mom was always about, and fun fact, I didn't, my first time graduating was high school. So never went to a middle school graduation, elementary, nothing, because I always moved to a school my mom thought was better. She's like, this is going to give you a better opportunity. And I was set in my ways. I was like, no, I don't want to leave all my friends in here. And she's like, now nah, you're going. It's, you just need to go. Yeah. So this school was five through eight. Um, and it was cool. And, um, took an exam for an independent school called Roxbury Latin, and that started 7 through 12. So same thing, I was in sixth grade. I'm like, I don't want to leave, but she's like, no, this school is better. So uh, ended up leaving halfway through, went to RO, which is a predominantly white school in um, in Boston, Massachusetts. And, uh, and it was also small school. So we had six grades, 7 through 12, but uh, um, we only had 40 kids in each class. And of the 40 kids in each class, we maybe had five or six black kids in each class. Mm -hmm. um, and like I noticed the difference because up until like my, my whole educational career, everyone I went to school with looked like me. Mm -hmm. um, and this was very, very different. So they didn't live in the same neighborhoods I did. They didn't drive the same kind of car I did. They didn't understand the struggles that I experienced. They played sports that I never heard of before. <laughs> Um, so it was very different. And on top of that, like I was used to being like, oh, I get A's easily. Um, and when I got to this school, realized that not that I was I didn't feel like I was behind, but realized that I wasn't challenged as much um, previously. So it's like, OK, I got A's and I, you know, I worked and I studied and everything like that but not to the degree that I had to at this school, so much so that I didn't even want to stay. Um, I was like, no, nah, you're, you're staying. And so I didn't even, you know, you ask that question one time, and then right. you don't ask it again. Um, but the, again, another turning point, so I talked about the first one. The second turning point was coming home one day, 
uh, off the bus in my neighborhood with my friend that lived right next door to me. And I have this heavy backpack on um, that I usually did with all my books, all my assignments, and my friend didn't have anything. And so I asked them, and I'm like struggling in the way to my backpack. I'm like, where do you put all your work that you have to do for homework? In this backpack, this is just for tonight. Um, so I'm like, where do you put all your stuff? And he like pulls out a piece of paper out of his pocket. He's like, this is all the work I have for the week. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point, like I knew I was going to a different school. I knew the population was different, but I didn't realize the difference in the opportunity that was afforded. Yeah. While I wouldn't wish it on anybody, I appreciated it because I felt like I was I stepped into my blackness in a predominantly white school because it, I guess I only had two options. It's like, do you want to assimilate or do you want to do you want to be comfortable in the skin that you're in? And I'm like, I'm gonna be comfortable with my skin, whether y'all like it or not. Um, so I appreciated that. Fast forward, went off to college, went to George Washington in D.C., which is another PWI. But I like the fact that it was so big because my high school was so small. Um, we had a big school. It was like it wasn't that big. It was like ten thousand undergrads. And uh, but we had a large black community. So we had like 200 black folks and everyone's like, oh, it's not a lot compared to 10,000. But coming from a school that had like 50 black. Kids, <laughs> yeah. It was it was like it was it was like Wakanda for me. <laughs> <laughs> Wakanda. I was like, we had our own. Yeah, we had, our multi- <laughs> <laughs> we had a multicultural student service center where like yeah. all the people of color hung out. Um, I ended up living in a. Uh, they call them living and learning cohort. So you get like a townhouse on campus and it was called the Black House. Um, it was actually a George Washington Williams house, but everyone called it the Black House because that's where all the black people lived. Okay. Um, so I got to live with uh, eight other black folks who, and the, the purpose of the house was to um, educate the greater GW community about African-American culture in DC and share that with the community. So I was at GW, uh, what I do there? I did a lot of stuff. The first year, I really just, I was just black. I was eating, I was sleeping, and I was going to class. Okay. That was it. Yeah. That, that was it. And my GPA was great. It was, okay. it was, it was nice. It was up there. Um, then I made the mistake, the great mistake of getting involved the next semester. As people do. As yeah. people do. So I got involved um, with the Black Senior Union. Actually, my first, this is interesting, my first, I, I think it was my first, maybe my second, um, I'll say it's the first because I think they happen at the same time. But my first leadership position at GW was being the treasurer of the Black Student Union. Uh, look at the irony. Right. <laughs> and look at me. <laughs> Ten years later doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I was in the Black Student Union. I was in the Black Men's Initiative. And over that time, I, I was studying finance, but I really had like my heart for education. And so I was tutoring at a school called uh, Centro Nia which is a predominantly Hispanic um, or Latinx school in uh, Columbia, D.C. And uh, I had two options when I graduated from college, and it was to work for a financial consulting company or join Teach for America. Um, I actually got recruited for Teach for America by accident because I was getting a Martin Luther King Service Award and the recruiter was there to support someone else who was getting the award. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they ended up talking to me and say, hey, have you ever thought about, thought about Teach for America? And that night they had like a recruiting event. So I went to that um, and I was like, okay, I thought it was just free food. So of course it's, <laughs> it's, it's free food. I'm there. And it was off campus right. at a restaurant. Oh, so we're talking about... Money. Right, we're talking yeah. about luxurious free food, okay. not just, you know, the the wings or french fries we got on campus. So I went to it. 
Um, and I was like, yeah, I can apply to this. So I uh, ended up getting in and got placed in St. Louis. So that's what brought me to St. Louis originally. And I was teaching math at Clyde C. Miller High School. Um, and I was teaching trig, algebra two, and algebra one. Um, and I loved the experience. So I was like, okay, um, you know, this is something I can do. And, you know, Teach for America is a two-year commitment. So I'm like, yeah, I can do the two-year commitment and we'll see. But like after year one, I knew that like, I'm not going back to finance. I'm staying in education in some way, shape or form. And even if it's using my finance background in education, that's what I'm gonna do. Um, but I love the kids immediately. And I noticed that I think the biggest thing for me was the kids taught me a lot about myself. Um, as much as I was teaching them, I was learning not just about St. Louis, but really about myself. Because, you know, high school kids in St. Louis, they'll, they'll tell you They will tell things. you about yourself. Okay. They, they will like... tell you. They will let you know. Um, they were like, you talk too soft. You need to talk louder. You need to... And I'm like, but what about the formula? <laughs> but no, they want to tell me how to teach. And I think, and I, I tell a lot of teachers this too like embrace that because they're telling you how they need to learn. Um, and it was like, and I got to joke with my kids every single day and that's what made it um, worthwhile. One of the things that made it worthwhile. Um, but once you build that relationship, they're telling you how they need to learn, which is what we, what we want. We want them to own their education. And I felt like they were doing that and you can't really listen to too much how it's being said but it's more like what's being said? What's the message here? What are they trying to get you to learn? Because there's a difference between a kid who's like, I'm just going to sleep or I'm not paying attention to you at all. And a kid who's like, I'm gonna give you some critique. I don't know how you're gonna take it, but know that that critique is coming from a place of, I'm actually trying here. Um, so figure out something that we can meet each other halfway. So I enjoyed every second of teaching. Um, didn't want to leave the classroom. Ended up doing three years there. And to your point about how St. Louis can be very, you ain't from here, so we ain't talking to you, we're not messing with you. I had an experience uh, that was great. So one of my uh, students, one of my freshman's teachers, uh, sorry, freshman's parents during parent-teacher conference, her daughter was like a baby. So she she wanted to be baby the entire time. Um, in class and I wasn't having it. I was a no nonsense nurturer. So I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not coddling you, nothing. I don't care how old you are. Um, but she really needed this. Like this is what she this is how she operated. She was super smart and everything, but she just wanted to be treated like like a baby. Yeah. Um, and her mom was the one who let me into this and she was like, This is how you need to support my daughter. Um, this is what she needs, this is how she is. I understand it might not be your style, but if you want her to learn, you want her to be effective in your classroom, this is how it's going to go. So that was helpful. And a lot of parents did that. Um, and I appreciate her, you know, being honest with me and, and helping me with that. But she also invited me. She said, also, you need to meet some of these other parents who aren't. It was parent teacher conferences who aren't here at parent teacher conferences. And I'm like, oh, how do I do that? She's like, I know a lot of them. I'm having a barbecue. Uh, their kids are coming over. The parents are coming over. Uh, you just show up and just be yourself. So that was like kind of breaking the bubble for me a little bit. So they got to say, oh, this is, this is you know, this is India's teacher. This is uh, Jalen's teacher. So I got to talk to the parents in that setting and it was a lot more relaxed and I got a lot of buy-in, but I felt less like, oh, I'm just meeting the parents of my teachers. And I felt like, oh, I'm a part of the St. Louis community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so since then, it was mostly just going to events, getting to meet more people outside of my bubble. And that's why I liked in my TFA experience, I was one of just two TFA members at the school. 
So the people who I had the closest relationships with were not TFA. They were people who were born and raised in St. Louis, um, loved St. Louis, and welcomed me under their wing. People I have relationships with to this day um, and that I consider my brothers and sisters. Uh, so they, they took me in. They supported me. Um, and really wrapped me into the fold. So like, now we're going to this event. Or, I mean, I went to my first concert with a teacher from my, well, a group of teachers from my school. Um, and that's an interesting story because, well, y'all know who Chance the Rapper is, right? Of yes, course. Of course. And you know, yes. you know, Come on, yes. And you know Childish Gambino, right? Yes. yes. Well, way back before y'all were born. <laughs> <laughs> so the first concert I went to in St. Louis is at the pageant. And I, people won't believe this, but... Yeah, it was, it was around then. It was okay. like 81. Okay, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> So it was actually uh, Chance the Rapper opening for Childish Gambino. Hmm. Yeah. And a lot of people were like, well, and this was like, well, I was telling people this before, like, uh, This Is American came out. But everyone's like, oh, yeah, we know Chance, but who's, who's Donald Glover? Right. <laughs> and I'm like, would y'all believe? And he got booed off stage. It was the whole thing. He threw water on people. It so was, St. Louis. So St. Louis is like, St. Louis is like, nah, we don't know who you are. You're you're from Chicago. And, and he didn't do any original stuff. He was doing like riffs off other people's stuff. So like, um, why you want to say you're singing other people's stuff and we don't know who you are? And then he, he literally started throwing water on you in the front row. Wow. They were not happy. And that was, yeah, that was that. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. And so after teaching, mm-hmm. um, how long did you teach before you ran for like the school board? Yeah. When so did I, you start working in the treasurer's office? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I taught. I taught until twenty fourteen, and then I I ran the first time in twenty eighteen November. Um, in between that time, I was working for a program called Inspire CL, started by Charlie Cooksey. And uh, so she's the reason I left the classroom. So I joined Inspire STL and I was doing curriculum development. So I got to flex that muscle because that was part of my master's program. Yeah. Um, so I love that and I love those kids too. And so I still talk to like my students from uh, Clyde C. Miller and then Inspire STL was much more immersive because we were like really in their life. Like in the classroom, I felt like, I'm in their life a little bit, but it's mostly just math. Yeah. Um, but with Inspire STL, we were just, operating in all facets of their existence. So this was, so teaching, it was like a couple thousand or about a thousand students I got to connect with on the classroom level. With Inspire STL, it was like a couple of hundred families that I got to connect with. And they were like my family. So I came to St. Louis by myself. All my family is elsewhere. Um, So these were my family. So these are the people who I built connections with, learned their stories, um, why they were here, why their children mattered. And when they saw that I cared about their children's futures as much as um, they did, um, we, we became family. Um, and and that's, that's really what it was. And I think that's part of what kept me here. I was like, there's St. Louis, I feel, has so much opportunity. Um, you know, East Coast, West Coast, it's like, oh, I wonder if we have a, yeah, it's over there, it's down the street. Or <laughs> do they have a place that does? Yeah, it's right there. But St. Louis, not to say St. Louis doesn't have things, but there's so much opportunity to create and there are low barriers to entry, which I yeah. love. Um, but yeah, what honestly kept me here were the families of St. Louis. And that's what I, those are the people that I leaned on when I was running for the school board um, to both ask them, like, do you all think this is a, a good idea? Um, and they were like, 
you know, unequivocally, they said yes. And they were my anchors to be able to say, all right, I can push and do this. Because as you know, it's a lot of work <laughs> to run a campaign. Um, and and they were my motivation and like the fuel that I need. Because there were days where I'm like, oh, it's been 12 hours, haven't eaten yet. Yeah. Um, but that that's how campaign life is. Yeah. And they were the motivation I need. I'm like, oh, can y'all be in a video for me? Or can you post this? Or can you share that? Or... Yeah. Um, can you meet me here and, and do this? So they were super supportive and I loved that. And that, like I said, was the energy that kept me going. Um, I lost in 2018, came in what, fourth place behind Rest in Peace Bill Haas. Um, and then I won in April when I decided to run again. And I was like, I was exhausted at the end of 2018 um, in November. And I knew filing would open up for some new seats. And so I said, and it's a $100 filing fee. So I was like, I was laying down and it was the day after the the day after the election and I was like, if I'm gonna do this again, um, I really need to be committed to it. Like I have to be committed to the, you know, the knocking on doors, which I love, but it's yeah. I gotta be committed to the the exhaustion. Yeah, and be ready to be exhausted. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And so literally the next day I was like, once filing opens, I had a hundred dollars cash and I put it in a drawer and I said, This is just for filing and this is what it's gonna be for. Um, so I, I made my mind up early, like, I'm doing this again, win, lose, or I guess win or lose. Um, so, yeah, and that's what led me to the school board. And I was a person, even in D.C., I remember freshman year, I was talking to my friend, and I was like, why is everyone always talking about politics? And he's like, do you, do you know where you are? <laughs> right? And I was like, so. Um, so I was not, I, I understand, I understood, like, why politics was important, but to me, I like really consider myself a doer. So I want to like, like, what's the program? What's the work that we're actually doing? Who are we serving and how mm -hmm. um, right now? Um, what is the action that we're taking? And to me, policy wasn't always action. And it was, you know, I felt like the politics of politics was very annoying to me. Mm -hmm. And to be like, well, I'm not going to prove this thing because you didn't approve my thing right. or because we're on different sides of the aisles, I, I'm not going to support that just because you're a Democrat and I'm a Republican. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, that's nonsensical because I'm like, well, does it make sense to do? Is this going to help people? Is right. this, you know, is that, isn't that the purpose? Right, yeah. So I really never liked the politics of politics. And I probably, I, I told myself a couple times, like, I'm not getting involved in politics. And when I ran for the board, I'm like, oh, this is more education than politics. It's you thought. <laughs> I thought, I thought, and I thought wrong. <laughs> I learned very quickly. It's more politics than education, um, mm -hmm. but but it's a. I don't want to say necessary evil, but it is necessary. It is necessary, as you know, um, and it's something that we have to be more engaged in. So it was my my way to engage and. Look where I am now. Okay. And the rest is history. <laughs> the rest yeah. is history. You go where the path leads, you're not where you want to go. Yeah. But I think it's like your path makes a lot of sense hearing mm -hmm. you tell your story because from the very beginning when you were talking about your childhood, you talked about the importance of education in your life mm -hmm. and your mother being a person that like pushed that for you even when you didn't realize it was important. And that's why your whole life you were able to sort of see these things and see the importance of education. And so I think that's really powerful to hear and also hear how that drew you to St. Louis and like made you want to commit to St. Louis, your experience in the classroom. Um, but as you mentioned now, you're about to be the treasurer. So 
I'm just wondering, and I think it would be good for our sippers to know sort of like, one, what is the role of the treasurer? What is this new role, if you can define it? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> and most people don't. Right. <laughs> so go back there. But then also, how did your experience on the school board, how do you feel like your experience on the school board will help you like in that role? And how do those connect for you? Awesome. Yeah. So the treasurer, and I'm learning more every day about the role, uh, but essentially the treasurer is the fiscal manager of the city of St. Louis. Okay. So um, revenues that the city has, uh, people that need to be paid, uh, get paid out of the treasury. So we cut the paychecks for, I think, every city employee, yeah, every city employee, um, poll workers, uh, everything they all get a check from the treasurer's office and now my name is on it so i get to okay. sign it even my check has my name on it <laughs> but i get direct deposits so i gotta get like a commemorative check or right. something at some point right <laughs> um but yeah so we have uh cash we have reserves we have investments um so if money is spent usually the treasurer's office has to to write that check for um, for City Hall. So that's what we do. So it's mostly cash management, but we also have investments. So because, you know, the city is large, um, obviously, so there's a lot of money. And when there's a lot of money, you know, if you got a finance background, money that's just sitting there waiting to be used is, you know, dead money. It's money mm -hmm. that's losing value. It's losing um, uh, its ability to grow. Right. So there are funds that we have that's not, they aren't liquid, which means that we don't have to, it's not like a checking account. So it's mm -hmm. more of a savings, but a regular savings wouldn't give us enough interest. So we also have to be aggressive with our investment. So making yeah. sure that money that we do have in our reserves or money that is sitting, we're not just letting it sit, but we're actually growing that because mm -hmm. um, the capital gains on that um, we can pass on to other benefits and again, grow the city's exactly. financial portfolio. So yeah. that's that's one responsibility of the treasurer. Um, so I have to I have to know my finance. I have to know my numbers, um, and I rely all the fun stuff. All the fun stuff. And you were chief of staff. I what? Before? I was deputy chief of staff deputy before. Staff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For the treasurer's office. Mm -hmm. Yep. For the previous treasurer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who's now the mayor? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, she is right. Um, <laughs> okay, can't take. Yeah. Just so people. Uh, yeah. What else do we do? What else do you? So that's one part, and so I work mm -hmm. with my treasury department on that. Uh, yeah, and that that entails a lot. So, and I just said paychecks, but it's like pay that people are receiving. Sometimes there are wage guardsmen and things, so we have to make sure the paychecks are correct and things are deducted the right way. Mm -hmm. um, we also have pensions to pay, so it's just a lot of paying people. So yeah. money comes in, we manage it, and mm -hmm. then we also have to manage the money going out. Uh, what else? Give people tickets. Uh, what do you mean tickets like to the <laughs> base, to the baseball game I'm to the no, Cardinals game? No, like meter tickets. She's getting into the parking half I'm of it, which is what you. most people oh, think the treasurer's office does. Yes. <laughs> which is so what is what is unique about our treasurer's office is that uh, is that we also um, the treasurer is the chief parking administrator as well. So I have a parking administrator, but over that is is me. So we're over parking for the city. So we operate some municipal garages. Um, other garages all around the city and all of the metered parking mm -hmm. for the city of St. Louis. So that is interesting. It's interesting. <laughs> um, and it's fun. It's fun because, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll be rolling up and I see a ticket on a window. I'm like, oh, <laughs> sorry. It's a little, little rolling <laughs> for the office. I'm not mad. I love seeing tickets. I love seeing tickets. <laughs> I don't know if that's a T, but yeah, I love. I mean, I get happy when I see a T. <laughs> I wish we could give out more tickets. Oh. 
You heard it here first. <laughs> right. No, but, but and, and I joke, but I, you know, with that too, um, and Tasharis, Mayor Jones set this into motion as well, we believe that we can enforce policy, but also like have a heart. So one of the mm-hmm. things that a lot of people don't know is some people have like hundreds of dollars in parking tickets. Some people have thousands of dollars on their parking ticket balance. So we started this program called a uh, parking towing and assistance program. Yeah, so we I call it PTAP, so I, was, I forget the acronym. I think I made it up. Um, but it's an assistance program that allows people to pay it off over time so they don't have to be burdened with the debt. And it freezes their penalties, so they won't accrue any more penalties. And we actually have over... I think right now we have over 300 uh, participants in the program, and they love it. Yeah. I was going to say, you heard it here first, people. If all of those tickets are sitting on your dresser, (laughs) into the PTABS program. PTABS program. We love it. We love it. Okay. Um, And so... Oh, and you asked about the board experience, how it transferred. Yes. Oh, yeah. So most recently, so today I had my first parking commission meeting. So the treasurer is also the chair of the parking commission. Um... And I had my first parking commission meeting. And if anything that prepared me, it's Robert's Rules, which you'll yes. learn about, which are the, mm-hmm. it's the language of, I guess, meetings at a city public level. Mm-hmm. Um, so like making a motion, having it seconded, like all that stuff was a foreign language to me. And most of it, I just picked up on the go. Um, and it, it was just like, and I didn't realize how important with it was. I wish we could do away with it, but hey, business is business. But that was something that was uh, was very helpful. Um, I think the other thing that was helpful was uh, this past week I sent letters to all the board of aldermen or to the board of aldermen. Um, and it was good, like when I'm writing these letters and personalizing, like, oh, I know some of these people. And that happened from going to the ward meetings when I was mm. in the school, when I was on the school board. And uh, or before while I was running for the school board and then while I was on the school board, um, making those connections to learn about what's going on in their ward, what's going on in their schools. Um, that was that was helpful for me, but also just like the, the different connections that I made with with people and not just like other elected officials, but mm-hmm. hearing from people on the school board, read all the emails, responded to as many as I could. Um, but I got text calls and I made myself available. So for me, it was always about being available. And I'm not saying that every person that I talked to, I was able to solve their issue. Um, And not everyone came with issues, but I think being available to listen um, and understand the issues so that I could take it back and say, all right, if I notice that five or 50 people have this same issue, it might manifest in different ways. What is the policy adjustment that we can make at the board level? Or how can we address this at a board level? That's not like, all right, I'm fixing Alicia's problem, but Alicia's problem is a systemic issue that we can look at in policy. For sure. So that was helpful. For sure. Well, um, I hope to, uh, I guess I'm kind of like your, um, you, would you be my predecessor? What? <laughs> You're my successor? Yeah, yeah. I'm your yes. successor, so yeah. I hope to continue that and feel that spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, as treasurer, what are you most, we'll actually say that, that what are you most excited about um, and what are you most nervous about? Mm-hmm. I think the, the answer is like one and the same. So I'm most excited about the opportunity I have to do a lot. Um, I was <laughs> I was walking into City Hall the other day, and I was like, I was looking at the time, and I was late for a meeting because I was coming from another meeting, mm-hmm. and then I'm like, I was thinking, I'm like, wait, who's my boss? And I was like, oh, I don't have one. Oh, that's <laughs> the best feeling ever. It, it was nice. Um, but I say that to say, like, I have, you know, 
not free range, but I have a long runway and it's wide open to be able to do a lot of things that I have ideas about and not just my ideas. Like I have a wonderful team that has great ideas as well and be able to cultivate that from the bottom up. That's what I really like. So I'm most excited about the opportunity that I have to create new things, fund new things um, and new initiatives, as well as establish new partnerships. Uh, I know that one, having the mayor's office on our side, working within City Hall, it can be more fluid and, and, and seamless. And there are things that we're no longer blocked from um, that we can access, uh, both at the mayor's office and at the treasurer's office. So I'm excited about the opportunities um, and the potential things that we can do. Uh, and why I say it's like one in the same, I think the most, the thing I'm most nervous about, which won't happen, but if I'm nervous about anything, it's, uh, it's time. So I know that three years will go by in a flash. Um, and I don't want to get to the end of three years and be like, oh, I didn't do enough. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's the thing I'm nervous about because I know things do take time, especially in government. But again, because I don't consider myself a traditional politician and I love that I don't owe anyone favors and I ain't got no friends. So I'm just like, you know, it's, <laughs> I just I just met y'all, older people. Um, so like I owe them nothing, which I like because I want to be able to get things done um, fast. And I want it done, you know, with quality, but I also don't believe that quality needs to take 10 years. And it's like, yeah. I don't want at the end of three years, I'm like, oh, we're still trying to do that thing we were talking about three years ago. Right. It's like, no, we should, we should be moving this into motion. So speaking of things that you're excited to do, uh, one of the questions that we have from a sipper is that there are so many people who live in homes where the maintenance has been delayed because of the inability to get low or no interest loans. Would the treasurer's office consider setting aside some funds for residents to obtain forgivable or low interest loans for home repairs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great question. We So the third arm, uh, which I didn't mention yet, uh, is our Office of Financial Empowerment. So we participate in the CFE, or Cities for Financial Empowerment. It's a group, and we meet... Um, monthly to talk about what's going on in other cities, um, what initiatives they're putting into place for their citizens, and, and how we can be a part of that. And we do the, and we offer what we're doing as well. Um, but I love our office of financial empowerment. I believe my whole vision is that you know I want the city's finances to be in order, but also the citizens' finances to be in order. Um, so we already offer low or um, what do you call it, low interest loan options uh, through our site, so stlofe.org. Um, so we have, uh, our team does source and look for low interest, no interest loans that we can connect people to. We don't have our own instrument, but that's one thing I'm looking to do with our banking partners. And we're, we're, we actually have partnerships in the pipeline to be able to um, offer low or no interest loans to people for various things. So I don't think we've looked into um, rebuilding or developing houses, but I think that, or, yeah, they're, they're, they're homes, but I think that's something that we can definitely partner with the mayor's office and the board of aldermen on. Um, but we uh, are looking to help new business owners. So people who are recently launched business or they're trying to take their business to the next level, but need that financing to both understand what it takes to, uh, to have that. And then also to give them that financing at lower no interest to be able to be a thriving business in St. Louis. Yeah, that's amazing, and then also really, really helpful with that financial literacy piece that you mentioned, too. Um, so I guess our last question for you is that you mentioned the vision that you have, which mm -hmm. is the vision for having the city's finances in order and having the citizens' finances in order, which I think is really cool. But 
what vision do you have for after that three years that we mentioned? Like, what is the impact the that team. you want to have? And also the impact for yourself, because <laughs> you've been in a lot of different positions now. Mm-hmm. So as yeah. Lisa said, what's the tea? Yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> so after three years, four more. That's that's the goal. Um, okay, declare it. <laughs> yes. Declare, I love it. A lot of people keep it cute for that question when we ask them. They're like, oh, I don't know what the people say. <laughs> so I'm glad you no, told I'm, us I'm the putting truth. that out there. So if anybody uh, was thinking about coming for the spot, they can start planning. They can start planning, you know? Um, but yeah, but that's the goal. Um, I think that, like I said, things happen slowly. Um, the goal is to not have things happen slowly. But I think after three years, there's a lot that I'm already percolating on and things I want to put into motion. I would love to see those things be successful for more St. Louisans. Um, I think with the mayor's office, one thing I'm looking for and looking toward is city growth. So, mm-hmm. you know, at one point, and this this does affect our school system, at one point, the city was like 800,000 residents on pace for a one yeah. and a half million. And we kind of designed our city for that um, with the number of schools we had, the size of the schools, et cetera. Um, and now we're under 300,000. So I'm looking forward to putting these things in motion you know, ASAP so that we can get more people in the city, um, more people who want to be in the city, live in the city for an extended period of time. Um, and St. Louis is an attractive place. I came here 10 years ago and I stayed. Um, so I would love for more people to do that, but also not only to have people like me come here and stay, but also have people who are here feel like they have a place in St. Louis. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Well, we are glad that you are here today. I appreciate you being so honest. Um, We respect all of your work. We're so honored to have you on the show. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we also just launched Financial Fridays. Yes. Um, So we have Mental Health Monday, which is my thing, Black Tees thing, and we have Financial Fridays, which is my thing, thing and Black Tees thing. So, you know, maybe one day we'll have a little live session with the treasurer uh, for a good Financial Friday session. Yes, and we can teach some financial literacy on Black Tea. Okay. Yeah, but we're just, you know, in general, our goal with the show is to raise political, social, cultural consciousness, and we really have a deep respect for leaders in our community that just take the path and take the road. So I think what we liked when we talked about your story was that you weren't necessarily even seeking out these positions. You took the school board, you taught, you took chief deputy, and you weren't even necessarily knowing the path would take you here. Mm -hmm. And it's just authentic talent and real commitment to the people. Mm -hmm. So thank you for your work and your leadership. Thank you. And And for coming to talk to us as well. Yes, because it's also great that, especially with Black Tea, we love seeing young leaders that are ambitious and passionate about St. Louis because a lot of time that we don't have that and it's not highlighted in the community. So we're grateful for your time. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm not yeah. Leisha Liberty Young, but... <laughs> <laughs> you, you know yourself, the 80s were right. right. a good time. Barely. Barely. <laughs> no, we appreciate it, but thank you so Absolutely. much. Thank you. know who needs to hear this but it's a section of this podcast where we tell you what you need to know but you don't want to know but you need to know so i don't know who needs to hear this but america was racist and it is racist today okay okay i mean facts you're not wrong but i know you're taking a dig at my vice president kamala so i'm just gonna stop you right there (laughs) and let you not talk about her no more (laughs) sippers if you haven't heard the drama about what kamala said um, about Tim Scott's comments after President Biden's address to the Congress. Go look it up. Go listen to it. And you will see that my vice president said nothing wrong. 
and she was just saying what it was and saying what was wrong with what Tim Scott said, as she should have. All I'm That's saying all. is that America is a racist country. There's not no dig to nobody in specific, but Kamala did say it wasn't. And then she said we should talk about the history of racism. Which is true. It's true, but where America is, is a racist country. Where's the the lie? lies and the fact that America is okay, a racist but country, that is where the lie is. Said. I listened to the clip. Mm. We listen to the clip together. Okay, so y'all listen, listen to the listen clip to and the tell Alicia about herself. Okay, but America is a racist not, country. You, you, black Lives Matter. Exactly, just like my black vice president. Leave her alone. Anyway, <laughs> Sippers, I don't know who needs to hear this, but in case y'all weren't aware, the tax filing deadline that was extended, extended just finished. So taxes were supposed to be filed by May 17th. And if you haven't already, I know y'all had a little extra time, but that extra time isn't going to get you your return any faster. So go on and get it done. Okay, get it done.